Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 5. John chapter number 5 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read a handful of Scripture, then I'm going to take you over to the uh, 142nd Psalm. So, John chapter number 5, let's look there. John chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. John 5 and verse 1, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind and halt and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, and Whosoever then, first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made hold of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed, and walk. And then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And the man departed, and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole." Now I want you to go over to the 142nd Psalm, Psalm 142, and I want you to look with me, if you will, at one verse, in verse number 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Father, help us today. Open our hearts, our minds. Help us to see, dear God, what you would have us to see uh, from this message. And I pray that, dear God, when all is said and done, that on this very first Sunday that we will tune our life with your will and that we will make the decisions that you would have for us to make. And we'll thank you in Jesus' holy name. I pray these things. Amen. My mind goes back to Skidaway Road in Savannah, Georgia, the old auditorium of Bible Baptist Church. A young man seated on the right-hand side of the church as you face from the pulpit, about three-quarters of the way back, sitting beside two of his friends that played 
ball with him. He's 17 years old. As I sat there that night, I heard Carl Hatch, an evangelist that was preaching an Andrew revival there in my home church, read this verse of Scripture in Psalm 142 and verse number 4. And the penetrating thought that he read that night was, No man cared for my soul. And as a 17-year-old kid, God burned that passage of Scripture deep down within my heart. And I, I have to be honest with you that the thought of someone perishing because no one cares, because I don't care, stirred me very deeply on the inside. And I don't ever want anyone ever being able to say that about myself, that he didn't care, that they didn't care, that South Valley Baptist Church did not care for my soul. I remember preaching a revival in a church many years ago in another state and was out door knocking in a neighborhood inviting people to the meeting that I was preaching. And I remember someone saying to me that lived about a block away from the church, I've lived here for 20 years and nobody from that church has ever knocked my door before. And I thought, what a travesty it is uh, to be connected with the people of God, and yet to have that haunting thought inside of you, nobody, nobody ever cared for my soul. I'm grateful for the opportunity that God has given us here, uh, that we are located in the Treasure Valley, in the south part of Treasure Valley, and in particular in, in Cuna. And, and I, love, I love this place. I love where God has us. But may God have mercy on us if, if, if a singular person from our community and from our area and from the new homes that are being built and the old neighborhoods that have been established for many, many years, God help us that if there's ever anybody that can live uh, within driving distance of this church and that they can die and stand before the Lord and say with all honesty, nobody cared for my soul. God have mercy on us. Fanny Crosby wrote these words, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it, strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them, tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. Edward Euford wrote these words, Soon will the season of rescue be o'er, soon will they drift to eternity's shore. Haste then, my brother, no time to delay, but throw out the lifeline and save them today. It's so very important. Now, I understand the context and who was writing in Psalm 142 and the reason behind that. But that verse can be applied to so many people. It may be someone who has a large family. Maybe he has financial security. Maybe it's a man that has a measure of prestige, but, 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 but yet he is, in a spiritual sense, a lonely man. A man that has been abandoned. His wealth does not help him. His family cannot save him. His prestige means nothing when it comes to the greater matters of life. 
And here is a man that can say from the depths of a broken heart, no man cared for my soul. Nobody cared for my soul. The New Testament equivalent of that man is found in, first, uh, in, in uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 5, in the portion of Scripture that we read, where there is an impotent man who lay crippled and unable to get to the healing stirring of the waters that took place at a particular season. <clears throat> and this man's reply to his dilemma <coughs> excuse me, was simply this, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. It's the same sentiment that we find in the 142nd Psalm in the fourth verse. What this man, this impotent man is basically saying is nobody cares for me. Nobody cared for my soul. Now, I want to look at this man, but before we do, I, I want to talk about some things <coughs> that, that, that relate to us from this text. First of all, I want you to notice the condition of the sinner. Notice with me the condition of the sinner. Before we look at the man, there's some other things I want us to see. First of all, there was a great number. There was a great number. As you read, as we get into John 5, in these first 15 verses... The one thing that we become aware of immediately is this guy is lonely. Wait a minute. But he's not alone. No, no, no. He's a lonely man. He can say, no man cares for my soul. Sir, I have no man. I have no man that, that when the water is trouble to put me into the pool, nobody will help me. No, 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 but nobody will be a part of what I need to, to change my life. Nobody cares for my soul. He was a lonely man, but he was not alone. There was a multitude of people around him that were in the same condition as he was. They all needed a miracle. Different colors, different walks of life, different jobs, different financial situations. But the one thing, the one commonality that they all shared was that every single one of them needed a miracle in their life. There's a staggering 7.8 billion people in our world today. If you could line those people up in single file line, they would circle the globe more than 30 times, and the line would grow 20 miles, more than 20 miles, every single day. If we could stop all of the births, nobody else born, and we could stop all of the deaths, nobody else went into eternity, and we could keep winning the lost at the rate we are now, it would take us another 400 years to win America to Christ. And it would take us another 4,000 years to win the world to Christ. With no more births and no more deaths, we're not really making much of a dent. And so the, the point I want you to see is as this man who was in his broken, impotent, crippled condition was not alone, the condition of this world is not alone. It's filled with lonely people that are surrounded by people that are just as lonely as they are. The condition was not particular just to them. Second thing I want you to notice, not only was there a great number, there was a great need. All of these people were sick. They all suffered. They all were in need of healing. They were blind and halt and withered. 
They all waited for an angel to stir the water so that they could all get into the water. They all had, uh, the, 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 the only thing they thought possible was for somehow someone to get them into that water. It was their only avenue they thought of help. And so for 38 years, think of that, would you? 38 years, this man suffered a debilitating and crippling disease. You know what his life was? Listen to me. His life was a pathetic cycle, just a pathetic cycle of the same old, same old. The world kept spinning around him. People kept doing, when the season ended, they all went back to their house. Everything just kept going as it kept going, the same old, same old. Day in and day out, life continued as usual. He was in desperate need of help, but no help came. There was a great need in his life and in the life of everybody around him. The third thing I want you to notice is that there was a great effort. There was a great effort. He, he, he didn't have much of a chance. Now, now think with me, would you please? He's crippled. He's impotent. He can't get around. I mean, he, he's dependent on somebody to even get him there. Then they've got to go about their life. And so here he is. The only shot he's got is getting to the water just as soon as the waters are stirred. Not, not much of a chance. He was crippled. He gave great effort, I'm sure, but great effort wasn't good enough. And he remained in his desperate dilemma. Listen carefully. Don't let, don't miss this. Or God wouldn't have given it to us. 38 years. How many, how many of you are 38 years old? Let me see your hand. Okay. Chad's 38. Diana's 38. Ron. Boy, I've got a side message I could break out right now on honesty. I'm not going to do so, so, for the length of Chad's life, this guy carried his dilemma, and yet nobody helped him. Could I throw something at you for just a moment and hope it sticks? There, there is a businessman in this valley. He's chasing the mirage of happiness. He thinks that just one more step up the ladder, one more promotion, one more transfer, and somehow he'll reach out and grab that elusive dream. His marriage has been in survival mode for a long time. He's an absentee father to his children, and his wife became widowed years ago. But he's too blinded by covetousness in his pursuit of the American dream He's too blinded by that to realize that his marriage is void of passion and his health is eroding. All he's got to show for it, all he's got to show for it is a plaque on a wall from a company that uses him like a cheap hammer. I have pastored so many men like that. I've spent so much time of my ministry talking to men that sold their soul to a job, to a business that used them. And then when all was said and done, they'd throw them aside the road like a cheap hubcap, popped off somebody's car, leave them there 
not caring about them whatsoever. Listen to me, dear friend. This, this guy, this, this guy, that's all he's got is a plaque. He's got a few toys parked in the garage, a few trinkets. He's respected by people who say behind his back, he's got a work ethic. But what many of them don't know is he is as empty as last year's squirrel nest. To bring a southern colloquialism in on this. It just ain't nothing living there. He's absolutely empty. There's a drug addict out there who long ago lost his dignity. He has not one shred of self-respect left. He deeply hurt everybody around. You know what he hurt? He hurt the people that loved him the most. He hangs with people that, that couldn't care less about him. He forsook the people that gave their best and invested in him. And he hangs with people that don't really care about him. They're just using him. He pawns his furniture. He pawns his life. He pawns his future for a not-so-cheap high, and it's costing him everything, and he doesn't realize it. There's a kid. There's a kid out here. I'm talking about this valley. There's a kid. He's 14 or 15 years old. He doesn't know his dad. His mom is too busy to recognize, I've got a son here that I've got to invest my life in. He's the most valuable commodity that I have. She, she doesn't know that, so she's gone all the time. And now he has a, a craving inside of him, like we all have, to belong to something. Maybe there's a youth group. Maybe there's a neighbor that could pick him up in their car and bring him to church. But nobody reaches him. I read the book called Going Down Together of Clyde Barra and Bonnie Parker. And in the early chapters, I wept because he walked down an aisle and joined the Baptist church. His family moved to the West Bogs of Dallas. His dad didn't have a good job, so they had to sleep under, uh, under a, tra a, a trailer, uh, under a, a flatbed that his dad used to haul things around town. They, the family slept under there. He developed a, a, a rheumatism that kept him out of the service when he tried to join, sleeping on that cold, damp ground. And as I read the story of Clyde Barra that, 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 that died so tragically, I was so overwhelmed with the reality that if somebody had just gone to his house and reached this kid, just, just crawled under the trailer with him and invited him to get involved in church, if somebody had just cared for his soul, it not only would have changed his life, but it would have changed the lives of everyone that came in contact with him who lost their own. He wants to belong to something. He wants to identify with someone. And, and you know what? Listen to me. There's a gang of guys just lighting. They're waiting to initiate him, give him an identity, and welcome him into their little hangout. And so what, we, what do we do? What do we do? i tell you what we do. We criticize him. Because he looks different. And he acts different. And he's a punk. And we don't like punks. And the reality of the matter is that, that, um, 
there, there's got to be somebody that'll, that will care enough to pick him up and put him in the water so that he can find healing at the feet of Jesus Christ. Somebody's got to reach that kid. This lady has three or four different children by three or four different men. You know who the men were? They were all do-nothings. They, they were absolute do-nothings who came by and gave her some fleeting security in exchange for her respect before they moved on to someone else. And it wasn't much of a chance. They were all losers. But she thought it was the best shot that she had, when in reality there was no shot at all. She's gone downward with each crashing, broken relationship. Somewhere there's a family who's on the verge of breakup, a teenager looking for a place to belong, a desperate soul who has tried or is, a, is, is, or is considering suicide. No, they're out there. They've got a week to live before they finally just say it's not worth living. I mean, it's, 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 it, this is real. A mother who's at the end of her rope. I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no man that would know me. Refuge, refuge. I couldn't find refuge. I didn't know where refuge was at. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Sir? I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. The condition of the sinner. Notice me, second of all, the compassion of the Lord. Do you ever notice in this scripture in John 5 that the man didn't seek Jesus, didn't know Jesus, didn't care about Jesus, but Jesus cared about him? And that Jesus sought him? Back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, into the 70s, early 80s, there was a sticker that people would wear, I found, I found it. Well, first of all, he's not an it. Okay. Second of all, you ain't found nobody. If you've been found, somebody was looking for you. He wasn't lost. You're lost. At the age of 12 years old, I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found I was the lost one. He came to me. He arranged the phone call so that I'd go to Bull Street Baptist Church and hear Bobby Richardson. And sitting in that seat, unbeknownst to me, blinded to truth, thinking religion was enough, 12-year-old kid heard the gospel because Jesus walked down that aisle and came to me and gave me truth that literally transformed my life. Jesus came to where the sinner was. He went to him on purpose. Look, Luke 19, verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He sought him out of compassion. And he saved him out of compassion. And we can't save the lost. But we ought to be seeking the lost. John 20, verse 21. Then Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jude Verse 22, and of some have compassion, making a difference. Can I ask you a question? Whose life have you made a difference in? Whose life have you made a difference in? 
I want you to just answer that in your own heart. Where are they? Who are they? Can, can, can you look at them? Can you see them? Do you know their name? Whose life have you made a difference in? I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about giving them a can of beans. That may, be the, that may be the segue into what you... I'm talking about whose life have you made an eternal difference in? Who have you shown enough care for their eternal soul? Let me ask you this question. Would you just answer this inside? Don't answer it out. Have you ever led anybody to Jesus Christ? Have you ever led any single human being to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And now would you answer this question, and how long have you been saved? How long have you been saved? Have you ever tried? I mean, it's, it's something... Jesus saves. Well, that's, that's great. But it means nothing if it's just two words on two banners in front of South Valley Baptist Church. You know what Jesus taught us? This is what he taught us. There's not a shortage of the harvest, okay? Canyon and I talk about farming, right, Canyon? We talk about farming, okay? Canyon misses the will of God sometimes for his life. And so I've been telling him it's God's will that he plants sweet corn for his pastor. Acres of sweet corn. Acres. Now he's trying to tell me what it costs, but that means nothing. Nothing whatsoever for his investment in my life. So, so here's the reality of the matter. You know, Jesus, is this a farming illustration? Jesus said, hey, there ain't no shortage of the harvest. Fields are loaded. Fields are ripe. Watch the national championship tomorrow and look at the stadium and realize this, every single human being in that stadium will spend an eternity someplace. And there's not three, there's two, heaven and hell. And Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. So he's trying to get us to realize everybody we meet is going someplace for all eternity. Jesus in Matthew 9, verse 36. Why don't you turn there? Matthew 9, verse 36. We'll come back to John 5. Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? Compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know what we're going to do, uh, in, 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 not this week, but the next week in Oklahoma City, we're going to pray for and send out laborers that are going to plant churches just like this one. And people in little nooks and crannies all over the United States of America are going to have a South Valley Baptist-type church to go to church and have their family centered. You want to talk about investment? Man, that's, a, that's what it's all about. Our culture's changed. And look, listen to me. We don't compromise our church and the core values of our church in order to become the culture so that we can reach the culture. But we have to realize this culture, this woke culture, it's, that's the only generation we have 
to reach. It's our responsibility. And if we can't get beyond piercings and tats and different colored hair and dress and all those things, they're going to go to hell because we couldn't get over our preferences and the things that disturb us. God can miraculously change the most unlikely of people, but He's got to have somebody that believes that. God uses people, that's His choice. And, and I want to tell you, if there was an ever an unlikely person for grace, it was Saul of Tarsus. And yet on the Damascus Road, God changed his life. And then in a room on Straight Street, Ananias walked across the room and gave him the human touch. And the human touch preceded the divine touch in many ways as, as, far, as, as far as Paul's growth is concerned after his salvation. And as far as the churches were concerned, he was an undesirable. Now, I want, I want to say this to you. I want you to listen to me carefully. You might get uncomfortable here and just help yourself. Because we want people to come to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they're not going to look just like us to start out with. Okay? Uh, they, they may come from all walks of life. Uh, they, may, they, may, they, they may come from a life of ill repute. You know where they belong? South Valley Baptist Church. We may, we, we may have young people that come in here and you look at him and you say, dude, he's got problems. He does have problems. So did the man at the pool. Somebody got to get him in the water. And, and so the reality of the matter is, you, you know, we're not, not going to knock over five pews to get to somebody when they come in church and they look like a tither. They're welcome here like everybody else is. But so is everybody that's different than we are. We want to give them the gospel. Everybody walking around the pool of Bethesda looking down at all those sick folks, they were different. But no man would wade down and pick him up and put him in the water so that he could find help. We're just, trying to, we're just trying to give help to people. Now, you may think that God's honored to get you, but He's not. And you may feel like, well, you know, I came, I, came, I, came, I came pretty well cleaned up and packaged up. That's great. It's probably because you were raised in church. But if you're raised out of church, when you came to church, you were different. And different people... Might not. You know what Paul said later about himself? He said, that guy back there, you remember him, Saul of Tarsus? I'm, I'm the Apostle Paul. You remember, remember Saul of Tarsus? He was the chief of sinners. That guy's the worst sinner ever. He set the record. Check guineas out. So, so, so the, the reality of the matter is when he got saved, all the church said, we don't want him here. We don't want him here. Send him over to West Valley Baptist. Brother Powell, my dear friend, may he bless his ministry. He started killing people. I don't want him killing people here. Okay. No, no. No, the reality of the matter is, is he's an undesirable. But I'll say this to young people all the time that are planning churches. Guys, listen to me. If you think your church is going to be filled with CEOs and millionaires, you're nuts. You got people going to come to your church that, that are familiar with white powder. They snort with a straw up both nostrils. And they've been burned a little bit and they got to heal up a little bit. 
And they're tattooed from one end of their arm to the other, and it's crawling up their neck. I mean, that's life. That's who we're to reach. By the way, Jesus loves them as much as He loves you. And if we're planning on having a ministry like Jesus had, that's the kind of people we've got to reach. I love, I love when John sent his followers to Jesus, and, 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 and he said, told them, ask, ask him, are you him? Can you imagine that? Here's John. Remember what John said earlier? Behold the Son of, the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the Son of the world. John said that. Now later, John's down and out and discouraged, and he said, would you go ask him if he's really the one, or do we... Seek for another? Jesus answered and said, You go tell John this. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor hear the gospel preached. That's the hallmark of the ministry of Jesus. Broken, bruised people. Years ago when I was a young man, a pastor of a prominent church came to talk with me and interview me to, 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 to groom me for that ministry. And I'll never forget one of his questions was this. He said, I want to know this, son. Are you at home and comfortable with doctors and lawyers and businessmen? And I said, yes, I am. But I'm also comfortable with bus kids and orphans and single moms and broken people with needle tracks in their arms. The implication was, our church caters to this, but the reality is Jesus caters to everybody. Doctors and lawyers and down and outers, they're all welcome at the foot of the cross. Last of all, I'll close with this, I want you to see the casualness of the indifferent. Because nobody says anything about them except two words. The impotent man simply said this, no man. I mean, that's what the psalmist said, no man cared for my soul. Who's he talking about? Anybody that's indifferent to his plight. And here, here at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus said, you've been here 38 years. And the man said, well, sir, no man. Well, who is no man? I fill in the blank. I mean, look around you. Look at the people that are looking down. We were just there. We were just there. Just a few months ago, look, 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 look down into the pool of Bethesda as the people gathered around that porch. People walked by busy on their way. Who, who's no man? Anybody that passed it by. Anybody that didn't care. Anybody that did not help. After all, it wasn't their problem. They were in good health. Why should they lift a burden that wasn't their burden? All over America today, people are playing church. Everywhere. Idaho. Colorado. New Mexico. Texas. Louisiana. Alabama. Michigan, everywhere. People are meeting together and they're playing church while the world goes to hell. And, and, and here's the reality. You and I don't have a platform 
to where the media comes and says, what sayest thou? Nobody cares what we say. We don't have that kind of a voice. But we do have a voice. And all John was was a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Jesus said John was the greatest man born of woman. And you know what I call John? He was a voice. The most important thing you have is your voice. God's looking for voices today. Voices of compassion. Voices of concern. Voices of people that care. And we can look to God all we want to, but it ain't God's job. It's the job He's given us. The human touch. The ability to reach into somebody's world and bring change. And I've said this so many times, and I, I say it at camps everywhere I go to young people that are sitting there with their whole future ahead of them. We, we, we won't change the world, but we can sure enough change somebody's world if we just care. Now, this is, this is, this is my challenge to, to my people, to us, to the people that I love, the people that my heart beats for. My challenge to you and to me is to, to pray to God to give us a burden, a concern, to help us to be people that care enough at the cash register to hand a track, the gas station, wherever. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Wherever you go, wherever you are, Calvin, as you travel. I've sold stuff on the marketplace recently that, that I'm, we're clearing out our garage. Just giving out tracts with everything I sell. Talking to them about Christ. Went to have a motor fixed a while back and was able to lead my mechanic to Christ. Why? Because I told him. Mike, would you stand up? Ron Sharp, would you stand up? Now look at me. Listen, I'm not trying to embarrass these guys. Nobody in this world except a handful of people knows who Ron Sharp is. Same with Dean Herring. Nobody, I'm not famous. Nobody knows me. Just go out somewhere and say, hey, do you know Dean Herring? You know the answer is going to be, who? Sometimes when I preach somewhere, they put my name on the church sign so that people will come out of curiosity. What? <laughs> but I want to tell you what. Nobody will ever say on ABC News, Ron Sharp changed the world. But you see that guy right there? Ron Sharp changed his world. You know why? Because he told him about Jesus. Thank you, guys. And he prayed for him, and he witnessed to him, and he shared Jesus with him, and he showed Jesus to him. So, so it, it, isn't always, it isn't always a quickie where I meet somebody, and I've had that happen before. But a lot of times, it's developing relationships and loving people and just giving Jesus at every... You, you know what the, seed, the sower of the seed did? He just put it everywhere. He just sowing seed. He just putting seed out. I'm just sowing seed. I don't know where it's all going to take root and grow. I, you know what I'm doing? I'm just getting the seed out. I'm just getting the seed out. Why? So that it has the opportunity. If the seed is still in the jar or in the bag, it can't grow there. So I'm getting the seed out 
so that it can somehow take root and we can have a product. Just get, just care enough to give everybody the opportunity to know what somebody gave you the opportunity to know, and that is that Jesus saves. It'll be the best year we've ever had at South Valley Baptist Church. Let's bow our heads. Remember in Sunday school, for those of you that were here, Jesus said to Peter, eat, eat this. And Peter said to Jesus, what? Not so, Lord. Don't you do that today. Jesus is talking to you. Holy Spirit of God, right now, is talking to you. He's moving you. He's burdening your heart to share the gospel. We're reordering tracks. We got new tracks being printed. I want tons of tracks out. Tons of tracks. I want you to get a pocket full of them. I want you to give them out everywhere you go. We want to put instruments in your hands, tools in your hands, so that you can share the gospel. Don't ever be the no man. Don't ever be the no man or the no woman that didn't care for the souls of the hurting. Our Father, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that somebody cared for my soul and our souls. Somebody cared. I'm grateful. Help us, dear God, that everywhere we go this year, we might tell people the great news that Jesus saves. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In the name of Christ, our Savior, I pray these things. Amen.